remember events in our country that brought such devastation. It's, it's a, a somber reminder of the brevity of this life. As I was thinking about that and preparing my message uh, for this morning, I, I recalled another event in American history that took a large number of lives. In the 1800, a bunch of wealthy gentlemen invested to build a dam. And, and they constructed it so that it built this beautiful reservoir, this, this lake for them to fish in and enjoy. It was, was known as the, the Coma River or the Coma Lake. Some of you may be familiar with that event. They built this, this beautiful dam, and it was, it was wonderful and strong. But over time, the construction began to break down. And as there would be little leaks here and there, they would patch it with, with mud and, and with straw, and they would repair it. But as, as time went on, they realized that it was getting worse and worse. And there would be numerous warnings from time to time when when storms would come up valley or or to the lake it was may 31st 1889 on that day a storm struck johnstown that um that would prove to be horrific it dropped Close to 20 inches of rain in 24 hours. As individuals watched the dam and began to see it breaking down, immediately they decided to send an alert to the towns below. The message was said, the dam is going to fail. John Park urgently uh, pleaded with, with the telegraph officer uh, individuals to, to warn the people of this impending doom that would be coming. At 310 that day, the dam gave way. And with it came over 20 million tons of water going down the valley. It would come to South Fork first. And that town, due to the enormous roar and thunder of the water coming, was barely able to escape. For they had not heeded the message. However, as a wave of water coming 40 miles per hour, a wall over 60 feet tall carrying houses, trains, trees, rocks, boulders, rushing down, it came to the next town. It killed an estimated 2,209 
people that day. The greatest tragedy up until that time in U.S. history. Not for the lack of warning, but for the lack of heeding the warning that had been given. They had grown cold and callous to the warnings and chose to ignore what could have saved their life. This morning, there, there's a real danger. As we come to our passage, as we come to the closing up of Peter's second letter, of sitting here through these messages, through this book, sitting, hearing the message, listening to it intellectually, but not heeding what God's Word says. And we will find that Peter is giving a strong, urgent warning and a mandate for the church in this letter. And I just realized I did not bring up my glasses with me. Mackenzie, can you go in my office and get those for me? Thank you. <laughs> Oops. Peter, in, in this letter, as he has been unfolding the, the truths given to him by God, thank you, sweetie, has been striving with uh, his, his audience, striving with his readers for them to know, for them to remember. And he began his letters sharing with them that everything they need to know, all they need for preparation for what will come, for what is, is found in the Scriptures. It's been a beautiful argument as he has, he has unfolded this for you and I in such a clear and direct way. Understanding, as, as he warns through this letter, that there will be those who will come as false teachers. He warns them, reminds them. And as they consider false teachers, he gives the hope of Christ's return. What, an, what an, a powerful letter that, that we have unfolded yet. Yet as we, we read the pages of, of 2 Peter, and I only have like two and a fourth here. There's not many. It's a short, brief letter. But as we do this, we can hear this message we can read this message and set it aside. Say, that's nice for Sunday. That's nice for the pastor or maybe those followers of Jesus that are a little uh, fanatic. 
but not for me. And we allow our ears to grow dull. We allow our heart to grow callous to the urgent message before us. This is a powerful, straight-to-the-point closing. Unlike Paul's letters, where Paul gets in and just really reveals his heart for, for those that he's writing, he says his thanks, he, he gives the message of, you know, I want to come see you, and he shares his heart, typically at the end of that letter, of his letters, Peter is like, I'm going to close with a straightforward, boom, in your face, here it is, done! It's kind of an abrupt ending to this letter, in all honesty. But Peter, as he ex ex expressed already, knows that his days are numbered. Many speculate that Peter went to be with Jesus in less than a year after this was written. So what we are reading today and seeing today are Peter's final words to the church. A deathbed charge, so to speak. Join with me as we look at the final two verses of this letter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness. But... Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And that's the end of the letter. Do you realize that as we look at, at these closing words of Peter, he is coming forthright to you and I as, as, we, as we close this out. Wrapping it up in a beautiful, powerful, to-the-point way. And I love that in this, he addresses them one final time. Beloved. Here's Peter. Giving this bold charge, but he uses the term... Beloved, it's an affectionate term. It's, it's a stern command, but Peter deeply, deeply cares for these people. Do you realize this is the fifth time he has used that, that term, beloved, in just this chapter alone? Do you think he's getting a, wanting to get across, guys, I love you. I care about you, and this is important. As he is expressing his heart to these dear brothers and sisters, I, I have no doubt that the words of Christ that are recorded in John chapter 13 are, are coming to the surface of his mind as he writes.
John 13, 35 says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. Look at this. If you have love for one another. Church, beloved, we need to love each other. Peter is expressing, guys, I love you. I love you so much, I'm going to tell you the truth and I'm going to tell you how it is. He cares about these people. Many of these people Peter had shared in their tears and, and in their laughter. I mean, you read Peter's life, there's got to be laughter there. You, you read his passion and there's got to be tears. This was a man that they had grown to love and he had grown to love them. But as we look at this final sentence that he gives these people he loves, there is a mandate. And there's almost, so to speak, an if-then kind of statement or argument as, as we look at this. Look at the first thing, if you know this. And he doesn't say if, he's just making that assumption. You do know this. I have taught you. Now, I have told my children things. You know this, and they're looking at me with this deer-in-the-headlight look like, no, this is new. <laughs> my wife just laughed out loud. Um, <laughs> I've never heard this before. And Peter's saying, you know this. If you know this, the things expressed in this letter that I've given to you, the letter I sent before, you know these things, church. And let's be clear, as we've gone through First and Second Peter, some of the things that we have looked at really are not new concepts. It's almost like, didn't we hear that in that other book you preached, Pastor? Yes, yes we did. It's almost like Peter and Paul and John, they're all saying the same thing. Oh, wait a minute. Peter expressed earlier on that this is Scripture, and Scripture comes from God. Maybe God is trying to get His point across. Maybe He wants us to know. He begins, Therefore. I'm going to summarize everything, everything that I have said. Therefore, we're going to look at this. And he goes, knowing this beforehand. It's time that we understand that what we read in Scripture, what we hear from those teaching the Scriptures as we engage in Bible study, is important for life. It's not important to look a certain way. Anybody can fake that. But it is important for how you live, how you think, who you are. There's a knowledge that is given to us in Scripture. A knowledge so important, we cannot ignore it. Because it gives us the information to prevent a certain outcome. The dam is breaking. Warning. Death will come to all. Warning. Warning. 
And what will be the outcome? And Scripture gives us the two outcomes. And it tells us very plain and clear how we can spend eternity with a God and a Savior who would give His life, shed His blood for your sin and mine, or how we can reject Him and spend eternity separated from Him. Those are the two outcomes. And it gives the message clearly. Peter, from the very beginning, has, has been telling us that, that Scripture is what equips us fully for this. Remember back in, in verse 3 of chapter 1, he says, Seeing His divine power, He has granted to us everything. How many of you, that is encouraging, that, that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness right here? Through the true knowledge of Him. Not information, not stuff. The true knowledge of Him, our Redeemer. Who called us by His own glory and excellence. Peter's saying, you know this. Paul tells Timothy a very similar thing about the Scriptures and its preparation for us. And the children in Awana are going to be memorizing this verse just in the next few weeks. It's an amazing verse, but it's a verse you and I need to understand clearly. 2 Timothy 3.16 All Scripture. Did you get that? All Scripture from Genesis to Maps. No, just Revelation, but the maps are cool. All Scripture is inspired by God. He is the author. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. There is a benefit to Scripture. Yet so many of us have this idea that Scripture is for the pastor. Scripture is for the spiritual leaders, and they just tell me how I need to live my week. No, Scripture is for life. Scripture is for that really difficult person that you work with or work for. Scripture is for that neighbor that you, you embrace day in and day out. Scripture is for the father, the mother, the grandmother, the grandfather. Scripture is for life. And you know what? I, I love Peter. He, he makes the assumption. He assumes the best of his audience. I, I should do the same thing. He assumes here that they will continue to stay in the Scriptures and heed His mandate. He's not saying if, He's saying since. Since you know these things. Well, if you know these things, God's Word, then be on guard. Be on your guard, church. 
God's word clearly shows us what we need to be on guard for. If you know this, then you will stand ready. You will be prepared. I I love that as we look at this term, it is a military term. It means brace yourself. It's, It's getting ready, in position, ready for what will come. Be watchful. Anticipate what is coming. Not what might come. What is coming. You see, church, there is a battle raging. And it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And as soon as you drop your guard is when, bam! The attack will happen. Peter explains in verse second part of 17 why they need to be on their guard. Look at it. So that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall, look at this, fall from your own steadfastness. He's looking at the church. He's recognizing their steadfastness. He says, but as soon as you drop your guard, you will be led away. By unprincipled men, you will be led away. It can happen, church. You're saying, no, 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 not me. I won't fall for that. Do you realize here that Peter is speaking from first-hand experience? You're like, whoa. Oh, yeah, when he, he denied Christ. No, I'm not talking about that. Galatians, turn over there. Galatians chapter 2, beginning of verse 13, or sorry, 11. We're going to go to 13. Beginning of verse 11, it says this in Galatians 3, or 2, 11. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. That's Paul speaking. Because he stood condemned. For prior to coming, the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. The rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. Peter, understanding what Jesus Christ died on the cross, his death, burial, resurrection, the freedom... When those who would teach law versus grace came, Peter himself found himself caught up, pulled away. His guard dropped. 
even to the point where he would lead others into hypocrisy. And Paul, when he saw that, called Peter out publicly. Why? Because Peter's actions were leading others publicly away from the grace of Jesus Christ. To the message of works. A works-based salvation. Church, it is so easy to get caught up in what is popular, to get caught up in what, what people are saying. Oh, this is good. And you know what? It sounds good. It looks good. It feels good. And so it must be good. And Peter fell for it. He dropped his guard and he, he no longer had that steadfast ground holding to the grace of Jesus Christ. So Peter closes with this letter saying, Be on your guard, church. Peter knows how to be carried away. Peter was a steadfast man, but he too fell. Don't think too mighty or proud of yourself. If Peter, one who walked with God, could fall. It's no wonder that Peter, as he is writing the church, says, Church, stay in the Scriptures. Know this. It is there for every aspect of life. And the thing is, is I can stand here this morning and plead with you. Church, grace, Bible, know God's Word. And we will go, that was a nice sermon. Walk out of here and have no interest. So Peter is saying, since you know this, be on your guard and grow. Grow. Church, you and I are expected to grow in our relationship and knowledge of Jesus Christ. There is a growth that is expected. By the way, this is not a suggestion. This is very much so an imperative statement. We need to be doing this. We should be doing this. And it's not a one-time thing. Every single one of you came here this morning at a certain point in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Every single one of you are at a certain place in your understanding of God's Word. And some of you have grown content to stay there. It would be a shame after I said I do to my wife, if that is where I stayed in my relationship with her. It'd be a much shallower relationship than it is today. There is a growth, there is a depth. 
And this imperative statement has the idea of keep on growing. Keep on maturing in your relationship with Jesus Christ, in your understanding and knowledge of His Word. And I love that Peter says, grow in grace. Grow in grace. Did you see that? But grow in the grace and knowledge. I love that. See, some of us really love to grow intellectually. So much so that we can go up to someone else and prove that we know more. Oh, isn't that great? Where we can go, man, I can, oh, I can just know you under the table. Yep, I know a lot. I'm good. I am an amazing Christian because I know so much. In fact, it is my spiritual gift to make sure that every other Christian knows how little they know compared to me. Growing grace. Peter's learned a lot about grace in his life, hasn't he? If we lose grace, then we walk around as Christian calloused intellects. And God has no use for calloused intellects. We may be able to point to every false teacher out there and point out everything that is wrong with it, but if we do not have grace and lead them to the grace of Jesus Christ, that knowledge is worthless. If we can quote scriptures and passages if we can memorize all the Awana verses, there's a challenge for us adults. Let's try to memorize what those kids are memorizing, huh? But you memorize all those passages yet have no practical implementation into your life with what you are memorizing. It's worthless. Grace. It's that unmerited favor that we receive from Jesus Christ, from God Almighty. Did you get that? Unmerited. You don't deserve His grace. I don't deserve His grace. Oh, but I want to receive it because I need it. Knowledge. You know, it's one thing to accept the grace and be, thank you, Jesus but not really want to grow any deeper than that. We can fall into that too. Oh, I'm just going to live as a grace-filled Christian, just so happy for the grace that God gave me. That's called infancy. There's growth that needs to occur. There's, There's maturing. And this goes beyond intellect and content of what is known. I would encourage everyone to read through the Scriptures at least once, if not more. Read through the Gospels. Get to know this Jesus. Read Revelation. See what He's going to do when He comes back for us. 
Oh, read the Psalms and Proverbs. Get a picture of his heart. But it's not only the what, as we look at Scripture, as we fill our mind with more and more information about this God who loves you and I. This God who is jealous for you and I. This God who is holy, pure, and perfect, and cannot condone sin, will not condone sin. But also the who. We come to the Scriptures not only to know information, but know the who. To know Him who came as Savior. Look at what it says. Look what He says. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it gives that it is the authority and majesty that we allow Him to have in our lives. Savior is the extent and power of His love. That He would come and save you and I, sinners, and die on, for our place on the cross. All of that wrapped up in Jesus Christ. It's a maturing process. And I have found over time that maturity happens over time. It's been really fun studying Peter and seeing the way that Peter has matured over his lifetime. You read through the Gospels and he is a young, on fire, passionate young man making mistakes. But he makes mistakes loving Jesus, and Jesus loves him through those. But as we come to these letters, he is a man seasoned through trials and hardships, seasoned in his relationship with Jesus Christ even more. Mature. And those impacts and changes in life will impact how you and I think how you and I respond to the circumstances that plague us day in and day out. And how one lives life. See, that's maturity. Peter, as he wrote the first letter to these people, he addressed their hardships. He addressed how they, they should handle and approach their hardships. And Peter loves them still in this second letter as he is stressed with them, their growth, their maturity, how he has established the warnings of those who will come, but the hope of eternity. As I thought about this maturing process, I thought about a tree in my backyard. Looks like that. I'm actually pretty, pretty impressed that I could actually grow a tree that, well, I didn't grow it. I watched it grow, but I do not have a green thumb. I've killed more trees in my yard than I've grown. But that Patmore ash right there has taught me some life lessons that I have not forgotten. When we bought that ash, I decided to actually talk to the nursery about it. 
How do I make this thing grow? I mean, I know I put water on it, but what else? And the nursery informed me that when you plant it in the ground, definitely give it water, give it some, some nourishment, some food there, but don't tie it down. I'm like, every new baby tree I've seen is tied down. They said, don't. They said it will make it a weak tree. That tree needs to feel the, the push of the storm and the winds blowing on it. And we would look out there sometimes in those storms and the poor thing would be like, you know, whacking the ground, you know. I'd be like, oh, that poor thing. But after the storm, it would come back up. It doesn't bend like that anymore. See, what happens, they told me, is when that wind does that, the roots are like, ah! And they drive deep, deep into the ground, and they grab hold of other roots. They grab hold of rocks. It was like seven years later, we were thrilled. We had a twig out there growing. It was like maybe eight feet tall and had three branches that would sprout a few leaves. And we're like... We're not sure we're doing this thing right. It has three branches. And then one year, the leaves didn't even come out. We're like, we killed it. Evidently, there was a hard year. The frost came. No leaves all spring. No leaves all summer. No leaves throughout the winter. And we're like, oh my goodness, it's dead. Seven years of laboring and our twig is dead. What we failed to realize was that year when it was struggling the most. In that year when, when no leaves were showing, the roots were going deep. The roots were driving down to where real nourishment was. And then, from that three twig, I guess you could call it a tree, the next spring, that happened. It was lush. Branches extended out. Leaves filled every single limb. It was, it was beautiful. And as I look at that tree, as I sit on the, the patio in the morning with my coffee, watching the sun come up and hit those leaves, I am reminded that there are times in your life and mine where the winds come and we think we're going to snap. We bend, we hit the ground, and then the storm passes and we slowly come back up. But it's in those storms that our roots continue to go deeper, or they need to. See, the thing is, is we have the choice. In the storms, we can just give up and fall over. Or we can allow ourselves to come to the Word of God and go deeper. Say, God, I don't get it. It's a storm. It's dry. It's beating me down. Where's the sun? Where's the clouds? He says, just get to know me. 
Know my heart. Know who I am. We're like, okay, and we get through that storm and we start to stand stronger and stronger and then all of a sudden, what we thought the storm was bad, oh, that was just the introduction. Life throws a really, really hard curveball at us. And if anybody were to look at our lives on the external, they would see someone who is dried up, famished. Everything in life seems to be going the wrong way. There's nothing there. And we ourselves, we look in the mirror and we see that same individual. Yet we have the opportunity to just give up. Or come. Go deeper. God, I thought the storm was hard, but this, this is tragic. He says, go deeper, grow, mature. Allow this season where no one's seeing anything in your life. You're not even seeing it. Allow me to nourish your soul. Allow me to show myself. Go deeper. And there will be a day, church, where those leaves, those branches will extend. I don't know when that day is. I don't know when the spring is coming for you. But I know as a pastor looking out right now to so many, I know some of the storms you're going through. I know some of those dry, arid valleys that you walk, starving and thirsting. And along with Peter, I challenge you to go to his word and grow. Peter has allowed God through those hard, difficult seasons to mature him, to cause him to grow. Let me ask you a question Are you growing? Are you maturing? Or are you allowing those storms, those, those dry seasons of life, just to set you further and further and further distancing yourself from God? To grow and to mature, both of these take time. We don't like time, do we? Both of them take effort. Oh, but we want it easy, don't we, church? I do. I, I would love to pray and say, God, please make me mature this afternoon. I have this I'm dealing with. I'd love to be more mature than I need to be. God's like, that's going to take time, Jed. I've seen you. It's going to take some time. You need to put forth effort, Jed. Because you've been slacking in, in this or that. And we need to come to God's Word and allow it to nurture our hearts, to nurture our soul, and allow us to go deeper. Peter. To Him. Be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen.
Peter, as he's telling the church that they need to go back to him, that they need to do this, he says, Oh, to God be the glory. So church, this morning, as we wrap up these letters of First and Second Peter, as we conclude, I am going with the same authority that Peter demanded of his audience, with the authority of the very Word of God, I am going to challenge you to grow deeper in your relationship and your faith with God, to mature and to know His Word. The message has been given. It's been delivered to you in written and verbal form. You've heard it. Will you heed it? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, to hear a message is one thing. To hear your word and what you expect of us, demand of us, is one thing. To do it is another. Lord God, I pray that you would give each one here a boldness, a fortitude to stand guard in their lives, a desire to grow deeper and put forth the effort to mature in their, their relationship with you. God, may it not be a lip service, may it not be something we do just to impress those around us, but God, may we do this because we want you. God, we need you. So I pray that each one of us, myself included, would heed the message that you have given us. God, thank you for this study of First and Second Peter. Thank you for using a man like Peter, a man like ourselves, that, that would, you would use him to convey your truths. God, may we live by them. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as we